Hello, this is Ken Stusen. I'm a partner at Brown Advisory. Welcome to our NOW 2020 podcast. NOW stands for Navigating Our World. We are simply trying to understand the world better, to navigate some of the most pressing questions that are shaping our lives, our culture, and our investment challenges. We are committed to sharing the views of CEOs and other leaders so that we can all learn from their perspectives on how to navigate the future. We want to hear from you too. We invite you to complete the short questionnaire on the NOW website. And if you would like to hear about future podcasts, please take a moment to fill out the form on the NOW website so that we can be in touch with you. As we look to the future, whether we agree or disagree with each other, the one thing we know for sure is that none of us can figure this out on our own. At Brown Advisory, we are focused on raising the future, and we hope these now conversations will help us do just that. We're in the midst of a national moment of reckoning around the history and ongoing legacy and impact of racism, inequality, and white supremacy in our country. One component of this conversation is the importance of representation and the unfortunate lack thereof across all aspects of our society, from fashion and entertainment to finance, technology, and investing. In this episode, we'll reflect on the state of the venture capital industry today, where less than 1% of venture capital goes to Black entrepreneurs and less than 0.2% goes to Black women entrepreneurs. Venture capitalists can make a difference. While the ultimate success of companies is driven by the entrepreneurs that build them, venture capitalists provide the financing and support for innovators to get their companies off the ground. When only a tiny fraction of venture funding goes to Black entrepreneurs, what are we missing? What problems could have been solved? What impact does the lack of access to capital have on innovation? I'm Keith Stone. I'm a partner at Brown Advisory, and I lead our venture capital investing effort. I am thrilled to welcome to the podcast three successful investors who are deeply thoughtful about how to improve upon the lack of representation in the venture industry. Charles Hudson is the founder of Precursor Ventures, Monique Woodard is the founder of Cake Ventures, and Richard Kirby is a founder of Equal Ventures. Charles, Monique, and Richard were friends long before they joined us on the podcast, and so it was a special treat to be able to facilitate this conversation. One note about this episode. You will hear Charles, Monique, Richard, and me refer to GPs and LPs. In case you're less familiar with the venture industry, GPs, or general partners, are the partners in venture capital firms. They manage the firms, raise money, make investment decisions, and guide the portfolio companies. LPs, or limited partners, invest in venture funds to provide capital for new ideas and benefit if and when the companies in the fund grow successfully and are acquired or go public. As we come to the end of this season of the NOW podcast, it is interesting to reflect on how the conversation with Charles, Monique, and Richard echoes previous episodes. John Meacham on the importance of truth-telling. Doug Baker, the CEO of Ecolab, and Linnell Cameron of Autodesk on how business can drive systemic change. And Joel Flory, the CEO of Visco, on the benefits of culture ads and diverse perspectives. Monique, Richard, Charles, it's great to have you here with us. Let's jump right in. Let's start with how did we get here? What are some of the structural issues that contribute to where we are today in the venture industry? Richard, why don't you kick us off? I think historically, you know, venture started off as an industry that started a time frame where there weren't many African-Americans in 
tech or in finance in general. And so um, when LPs were giving dollars to GPs, uh, the only option were predominantly white men. And and that just kind of became a self-sustaining thing over many, many years, it kept rolling. And that just became what, you know, LPs started to look for because the only folks they saw succeeding were, um, you know, predominantly white men. And so that was the kind of pattern matching in their mind that they were thinking through and going through. Charles, anything you'd like to add? What I'd add is historically the two best ways to become a venture capitalist are to be an operator who has a huge exit with your company through the venture funded channel, which means you were able to get access to venture capital in the first place, or to have been a partner at an established venture capital firm. And if you look at both of those channels, starting with the first one, you know, in order to be a founder who had an exit for a venture-backed company, you had to get venture capital in the first place. So the flip side, too, is a lot of the industry was focused on funding people that were already in their network, people they went to who went to the same university, people who'd worked with them at a previous company, people who maybe they had a social relationship with. And so it was a very network-driven decision about who got funded. And as you can imagine, those networks didn't include a lot of um, black and brown faces. And second, you know, most venture firms historically have hired from a very small pool of universities and companies. And those universities and companies aren't terribly diverse either. And so what you end up with is the two fastest paths to becoming a venture capitalist, whether it's as a contributing member or as the leader of an organization, was to have raised money or been at a venture firm. And when those two paths look the way they did, it's not surprising to me that we've had relatively few black and brown VCs break through. What are your thoughts, Monique? You know, venture capital is a industry in which you, you get there by being apprenticed by someone, right? So someone sort of gives you the nod and they, they teach you the business. And typically, um, you know, networks are not particularly diverse. They are inc- actually incredibly homogenous. And so you would have an older, usually male venture capitalist who's, you know, known the business and learned the business and was probably brought into the business by someone who is older than him and also male. And then they bring in someone who is younger and male, often from the same networks, often from the same schools. And so it's it's a very cyclical environment and it's very difficult to to break in and have any sort of diversity in that. Richard, you wrote a piece about the lack of diversity in venture capital that's probably a couple years old at this point, but can you share the main takeaways from that? Yeah, sure. So a couple of years ago, I put out some data on the lack of diversity in venture capital and you know the outcomes were, were quite glaring. You know, roughly African-Americans make up about 2% of the industry. Um, you know, Latinx was roughly about the same thing, slightly lower than you know, African-Americans. And you know, the industry was you know, 70% plus white. Um, whether it's male and female combined there. And so that was glaring. And then on top of that, from an education standpoint, you know, Monique mentioned that, you know, and so did Charles mentioned that people kind of pull from their known networks. And the data suggested that, you know, 40% of folks in the industry went to Stanford or Harvard, oftentimes both uh, institutions. And and so when, when you're pulling from the same crowd, it's no surprise that the industry looks a certain way. And so I'm actually in the process of updating that data now. And unfortunately, not much has changed in that data set. I'd say the biggest change, you know, in the two-year time frame has been an increase in women in veterans, which is great. Predominantly, it's been an increase in uh, white women as well as Asian women. And so that's been the predominant jump that we've seen, but the rest of the demographics look 
most of the same from my updates so far. And so some change, but not nearly enough change that I think everyone on this call and everyone in the audience would hope for. So what advice do you give to other VCs that may approach you about how to source companies that are led by diverse founders? I mean, the first thing that I recommend when another GP, usually white male GP, comes and asks me um, how to diversify their pipeline of founders is hire a person who is not a white male. You know, that's not always possible, but, you know, in, in a year you may not be hiring. You're only going to usually hire around fund cycles, but that is the number one way to get more diverse deal flow is to hire someone who doesn't look like the rest of the firm and who has a different network than the rest of the firm. And so barring that, I've seen a lot of funds lately start to make commitments as carve outs to invest in emerging managers. And I think that's a really interesting uh, strategy for them to get closer to emerging GPs and specifically get closer to emerging GPs who are black and Latinx. How do you advise VCs to find diverse candidates? Charles, let's start with you on this one. So we have an all-black team at Precursor. There's three of us, me and two really talented black women on the team. And when we were hiring our analyst, internally, my associate and I, between the two of us, have a Duke degree, a Berkeley degree, and two Stanford degrees. And I said, I think we have big Bay Area schools covered. And it would have been really easy to just say, we're going to send an email to Stanford, and we're going to post it there, and we're going to get a bunch of really talented people And we'll do the same at a couple of schools. And we just said, let's try a different experiment. Let's try to do the opposite of what most venture funds do. Let's try to push our analyst job spec out as far and wide as we can on the internet. Let's try to get it like in front of as many different people as we can. So we ended up getting 400 applicants. And we're not a big firm. We're not Sequoia or Lightspeed, some big brand name firm. And we whittled that down to basically a group of 10 candidates. And the person we hired, I literally couldn't have been further outside of our network. She went to a school where neither my associate nor I had any contacts. She'd spent most of her career on Wall Street. She was a native New Yorker. She hadn't worked in tech before. She was just different. And I think other than hiring my associate, it's like the the best decision we've made on the hiring front at the firm because she brought... Um, what I would describe as like a healthy skepticism about tech and venture because she isn't from here. And I think what ends up happening is when you're embedded in some of these markets and businesses, you start to internalize all of the logic that's sort of common knowledge. And she just brought a refreshingly good outside perspective. And I've told other people, like, you can do this. This is not hard. But part of it requires you being open to the idea that the person that finishes at the end of your process will look different than the people that you normally have at the end of your process. Yeah, and I think in order to do that work, you really have to see this as mission critical to the growth of your firm. And what is mission critical to the growth of your firm is continuing to find new opportunities in areas that you may not have uh, looked at before or areas where there is something new happening or areas where other VCs are not going to be as competitive. Um, you're, you're looking for alpha. And so every person on your team has to be different enough so that you're constantly widening the aperture of what you're seeing on a regular basis and finding the best deals and the best founders and the best opportunities in the best industries. And I think the, the more diverse you can make your table, the more diverse a table you can set for your firm, the better you're going to be at doing that.
Venture partnerships are by definition small. What is the right amount or, or what is enough diversity within a firm? And how do you think about diversity beyond race and gender? Yeah, but I don't know what the right number is or if there is a, a particular right number. But um, you know, I think in general, any firm should reflect the the society in which the firm operates in, right? And so, you know, are there is the United States comprised of two percent of Black people? No, it's not. It's like thirteen percent, right? And so that in and of itself, I think, is is a good barometer, starting point for any firm to think about their organization. But even furthermore, I would think about you know, we are supposedly investing in the future whatever we're investing within technology. And so I would think even furthermore. And so what does the United States look like 10, 15 years from now to make the right bets to win in that environment? Your team should reflect what the country would look like at that point in time. And so I think that's the kind of benchmark that I, I think about from a demographic perspective. But I think, you know, that's just only one aspect. You know, I think Keith, you mentioned before, diversity is just not gender. It's just not race. There's other things, whether it be personal background, whether it be career backgrounds are different, you know, you know, we in this like venture capital bubble, um, you know, tend not to be as uh, equipped to understand what's happening in non-Bay Area, non-New York City. And so the middle of the country, other parts of the country that are massive, massive swaths of the economy are generally ignored. Yeah, I don't know what the number is, but it's not one. <laughs> I would just like to be clear that it's not one. It's not like, well, if we did that. Thank goodness we're, we're finished. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I've seen that happen even with firms that hired women partners feeling that, you know, they hired one and, and that was good enough. And so now we can, we can, we're satisfied with, with our performance there. And I think I would, I would push people to, to think beyond like the tokenism, right? You don't want people to be a token in your firm. You actually want them to be part of a team and part of a, a broader uh, strategy and, and inclusive thought process around how you're building that team out. I would also just say to Monique's point, if every firm had one, it'd be a gigantic accomplishment and a huge improvement over where we are at the moment. And so <laughs> one is not the right answer, but one would also be market improvement. The only thing I can add is I think it's not just about hiring people. It's about giving them space to be successful and like giving them room to be themselves and not offloading all responsibility for all diversity onto your one black partner. Like that person's job shouldn't be to be the sole person who's responsible for meeting with and interacting with black founders. Like that should become a firm wide thing. And I, I worry that sometimes firms hire one black partner or one black individual. And then you layer this person up with this unpaid work of being the firm's diversity ambassador. That doesn't seem to me to be a good policy. One thing I'd just add there, you know, one is hard to do too, because who wants to be the only or first black person at any particular firm or first woman at any particular firm? That's a really tall task for anyone to ask because you're, you're throwing them in an environment that they're like already skittish about and not excited about and not comfortable in. And so you know, people often talk about cultural fit, but I think it's, you know, cultural ad. If you think through that lens, you're, you're more comfortable figuring out, you know, who to bring on your team. And it doesn't need to be just one. And, and if you can, you know, add more than one person, it doesn't have to be, you know, 16 black people, but, you know, a black person, a woman, a Latinx, uh, you know, investor, all these things combined make for a more inclusive environment that folks can feel like, you know what? Yeah, these people are all very different from me, but like, 
I feel like I could be comfortable in this environment. And they really care about the things that I care about and I care what they care about. And that goes to the retention point that Charles mentioned, which is that's the environment that you want to have to allow yourself to be able to not only hire one, but have a plethora of people that want to come and work in your organization. And, and the folks that can create that environment, I think, are the folks that are going to win long term. The three of you are in kind of different phases of starting up firms. Just what has that experience been like? And, um, you know, what's it like kind of finding LPs? You know, what are what are some of the things that um, people are looking for? And I, I guess just curious how those conversations have gone. I will be the first to recognize that I have a very atypical experience fundraising as a black GP. I'd been a partner at another fund before when I left. So that box was checked. I made investments under my own name and had a track record. Like that box was checked. Um, it was still very difficult to raise our first fund. And I, I, one of the things I've certainly seen from talking to other female fund managers I'm friends with and other managers of color is you never know how much of your own experience was like your fund model and your process or other factors like racial discrimination or sexism. You just don't know. No one really tells you that that's why they're not investing in your fund. I thought our first fundraise would take a year. It took more like two years and we raised a grand total of $15 million. And it still felt almost impossibly hard to get fund one done, which makes me think how much harder must it be for the black and brown GPs who have none of those advantages, who haven't worked at an institutional VC fund, who don't know a ton of LPs, who don't know the language and don't know sort of the logic of, of how to pitch and build a portfolio construction. We raised our, our first fund um, in the past year and change. It took us about 18 months to do it. So, you know, also quite a while. Had um, some advantages like, like Charles had, not the same, you know, had worked at two previous funds before that, I'd say were funds that are quite well known in the venture industry. So it brought some cachet on that, you know, team page and background page that someone on the LP side can say, okay, yeah, I know those names. I, I trust that, you know, he or she knows what they're doing. And so that, that was great. Um, nonetheless, you know, still had challenges, you know, you definitely, to Charles's point on understanding, you know, did I not get it because my strategy didn't fit or did I not get it because they didn't want to invest in a black GP? You can get some hints of that. You know, I, I know I was in a room with a, you know, well-known LP to I'm sure everyone in the, on this, this, this podcast. And, you know, you always want to hear about that question about, you know, differentiation. So how are you different from, you know, fund X, Y, or Z, or just like any seed stage fund, really easy question to ask. But the way the question was asked to us was, Hey, uh, Richard, how is your fund different from this other black GPs fund? Out of all the funds in the plan to think about and to compare one to, you know, no one wants to be compared to the other black fund and that's fundraising right now. You know, that is a question that, you know, doesn't necessarily happen in every room. And so that starts to get you the hints at some of the things that are harder to do in the fundraise process. I think everyone comes with like a little bit of privilege. And so I think my little, and I, it's very little bit, <laughs> my little bit of privilege was, uh, uh, I having name recognition, right? So people know who I am and, you know, that opened a lot of doors with LPs, but then they got me in the door. It doesn't always necessarily in, end up being like a, a check closing thing. And there isn't as, as good or as deep data as the data that Kirby referenced at the top, but Anecdotally, there are very few black women GPs 
who have raised, you know, in fund one over 20, 25 million dollars. Right. Most of those funds for fund one led by a black woman GP come in at like three to five million dollars, actually. Very small fund sizes. That has certainly been a challenge that is that is incredibly like gender gender based. And I think that's that's a few things. You know, there are very few black women GPs who were previously at big institutional funds. Um, I was at 500 startups before and I scout invested for Lightspeed. But people read that differently. Every LP will read that experience very differently. I had one LP who who actually really, really liked. But when I when I was meeting with with them for the first time, it was sort of in the midst of a lot of venture funds uh, hiring their first woman partner. And I did my pitch around Cake Ventures and I told them what I invest in. And they said, well, why are you here? You could probably go to any large venture fund and you're black and a woman and just like walk in there and get a partner role. And, you know, I was sort of like, that is a great question. (laughs) Because... If you just look at the data around how much money black women GPs raise and how many of us are are out there and how many of us have been able to do it successfully, um, you know, you would think that it is a fool's errand to think that you're going to go out and raise a, a fund of any significant size. So I think that, you know, while the the bias cuts against against color lines for sure there's also the bias that cuts against uh, gender lines and those two things combined make it exponentially difficult in, in a lot of cases for black women fund managers to succeed in the space there are so many unknowns when you're investing in venture and so this idea of pattern matching is is a widely accepted methodology when evaluating new opportunities and by the way, this, this applies not just to VCs that are looking at founders, uh, but also LPs that are investing in venture capital firms. People tend to look for things that are familiar to them or, or that remind them of prior successful investments. And the reality is there are a lot of firms and there are a lot of LPs that have been successful despite having, you know, I think what we would all agree is, is a pretty appalling lack of diversity in their portfolios. But those folks might not see the need to change given their prior success. What are people missing if that's their mindset? Yeah, so the first thought on my mind there, as you said, Keith, is, yeah, there's plenty of very non-diverse funds and teams that have had been very successful at deploying capital and returning lots and lots of capital to their LPs. There's also many, many more non-diverse fund managers that have returned horrible results to their LPs, lost money for their LPs. I think the issue there is that the opportunity for having you know Black, Latinx, and other GPs to have the chance to put those returns up just hasn't been there historically. So venture capital is all about finding the next big thing, right? And from a cultural perspective, that next big thing is often created by or influenced by or driven by Black people. So can you touch on what investors are missing out on by not investing in Black founders? I think sometimes as venture capitalists, we say things, we've been saying things for a long time that I think to me feel cringeworthy now. And I think for a lot of firms, there's this notion that like, well, how can I invest in a company where I'm not the customer? Or how can I invest in a company where I don't understand the customer? Which to me has always been code for like, if I wouldn't use it or it doesn't work for my family, I'm probably not going to invest. And if you think about like where venture capitalists come from socioeconomically, there's just a lot of problems that like as a group, we probably don't identify with if we apply that lens. 
I'd argue most venture couples I've talked to don't know nearly as much as they think they do about AI, ML, deep tech, some of these like technical areas. But it's been okay to say, I will invest in new technology areas where I maybe don't yet have expertise and I'll learn along the way. But it hasn't been as comfortable to invest in new audience groups or in new types of people that are not like the firm. But it's I find it very liberating to say that like my investment criteria does not require me personally identifying with the problem that this company is solving in order to say yes. And I think that firms are going to have to start to move away from thinking that the things that got them where they are today are the things that are going to get them to where they need to be tomorrow. So they may have had, you know, multiple years of great returns, but the fact is that I invest in in demographic change and the fact is that the internet user base is is changing rapidly and people of color are on track to become the majority in the United States. If you look at young generations that drive internet adoption and, and drive technology adoption, um, those those generations, Gen Z and, and the upcoming Gen Alpha, are already majority minority um, generations. And so, so many VCs are obsessed with Gen Z, but fail to like take the next step in, in their thinking and say, oh, wait, that's actually a majority minority generation that is making TikTok explode. That's actually a majority minority nation that is driving uh, usage and driving conversation on a platform like Twitter. And so, and these things can be extrapolated across many different categories of technology. And if you are going to be a firm that continues to deliver returns in the way that you have been, you're going to have to start to invest in these products that touch communities that you don't know very much about. And if you're looking for opportunities, you're going to start to have to figure out ways to look for them in in other categories um, or focused on other uh, user groups that you may not have a lot of experience with. Maybe we can shift a little bit and talk about the LP side of things and what we can and should be doing. You know, right now there's a lot of focus around backing diverse managers. That often translates to LPs that are looking for a a perfect double whammy in terms of a black or Latinx or female GP who also has a stated strategy of investing in women or people of color. Can you talk about some of the pros and cons of that approach? So I've certainly seen a lot of LPs, and and these are generally well-meaning LPs who want to fulfill, you know, double and sort of triple bottom line opportunities. And so they often say, well, we want to invest in emerging fund managers of color. And then we also want those emerging fund managers of color to be investing in majority founders of color. And then we want those founders of color to also be building companies that can be described as impact companies. And so by the time you like slice and dice it three different ways, you're really sort of hamstringing GPs in a lot of ways to only do this very finite sliver of something that you believe is really important to you and you probably believe is is good for the GP, but that leaves so many people out of what would normally be uh, be a qualifier, right? And so I think it's really important 
to be able to say, look, if a GP walks in the door and they are working on, you know, investing in artificial intelligence companies and there is no social impact focus and there is no racial focus, they should be able to do that. I think limiting the the scope and professional dreams and professional acumen of GPs is actually the opposite of what I think LPs should be trying to do. I think the real conversation you need to be having is with funds led by white male GPs and telling them and looking at the makeup of their portfolios and saying, okay, well, why are there no women in your portfolio or why are there very few um, black founders in your portfolio? You need to be doing the same sort of curation of, of their portfolio and of their focus that you're trying to do with, with fund managers of color. But I think, you know, trying to do that is actually incredibly detrimental and, and it gets you the opposite of what you actually um, are trying to optimize for. So, so as an extension of that, does part of the change also need to be more diversity on the LP side of the world? It doesn't solve all of the problem, all, all of the issue, because, um, I think that often the person who is making the decisions within an institution, for example, is making those decisions and, and trying to set those, those guardrails around fund managers of color because the instit- that is what the institution wants. It's not necessarily that you know, a, a black person in the LP seat is going to give you a different outcome. Um, it's really about changing the thinking of the LP base as a whole. You know, one thing I think I'd add there on Monique's point is that it goes back to what Charles said on the GP side, which is that for LPs as an entity, they need to care um, rather than hiring a you know individual, hiring the one black person, the one Latinx person on their team, because then that one black person or Latinx person is then tasked with go find me black and brown GPs. Then that comes back into their investment committee like, oh, Here's Richard again. He's going to bring another, you know, black GP in here or black ex GP in here. And then it, it becomes, you know, almost like a, not an afterthought, but then it's dynamic internally within the LP itself. And so, yes, more diverse teams at LPs is helpful, but I think it needs to be done, you know, delicately and correctly so that it's not seen as this like adversarial thing. Like every time Richard or Charles pitches a GP, it's going to be that same exact person over and over again. And another point I'd, I'd make is that I think more and more capital targeting diverse managers is, is great. The one dilemma is that when there's these you know multiple buckets at these LP institutions where you've got this diverse manager pool and then this main pool and you know automatically I come in the room and like okay Richard cool we're talking about you at the diverse pool and our diverse pool checks are half a million to a million. And I'm like okay but then like the main pool checks are like five to ten million and so why is it a or rather than an and? And if, if structured correctly as an and rather than an or, that I think does a better service in solving the problem that that diverse fund mandate is supposed to solve in the first place. My sense is that part of the reason we got such a rapid change, it's still not enough, but a rapid change in the female representation in venture firms is that behind the scenes, LPs use their social capital, their financial capital and applied pressure to firms and said, this is, un- as of now, this is unacceptable. Like you need to address this and like you will address this. And like, this is an important thing. And they, whether it was like um, explicit or implicit pressure was applied and it was effective. 
because you look at a lot of firms that had never had a female GP before who had every excuse in the book about why it was simply impossible. Bang, suddenly they had this amazing female GP on their team. It turns out that she's amazing and like the talent was sitting there all the time. I worry that not as many LPs are willing to apply the same level of pressure and social capital and when it comes to questions of racial equity. And I don't think it I don't say this cynically. I do think the industry has not done a good job of cultivating black talent. And I'd argue there's been tons of female executive talent in the valley for a long time. So finding female executives or angel investors who could become great VCs, it was really like negligence that they weren't in the industry. Like the talent was like literally right there. And I'd say socially, these people were already connected. Like I know GPs who've had female managers work for a female CEO. I don't know that many VCs who've ever worked for a black person, period, in any managerial capacity. Maybe if you were at a large company and you happen to be in a division that was run by a black professional, maybe, but I think most people, it's never happened. And part of me feels like, I don't want to say it was easy, but like you could apply confident pressure around gender because you could point to many, many candidates that were worth recruiting. I sometimes get the sense when I talk to LPs one-on-one that there's some hesitation that, well, what if I push this firm to bring on a black investor and they can't find one? I'd argue shame on that firm for not having a network that includes talent from black people. And so I, I really would encourage LPs who feel comfortable doing so to push mainstream firms harder on this issue. So uh, maybe just kind of open it up. I don't know if there's anything that that we didn't touch on that anyone wants to talk about. I really want to make sure we don't lose the thread about what Monique said about LP expectations for black GPs. I think this is like the one thing going to your earlier question about um, my first fundraising experience. The number of times I walked in and people said, oh, this is great. So you're doing a diversity fund. I'm like, I don't even know what those words mean. Like, I, I literally don't know what those words mean, but you said that before I even opened my mouth, which tells me a lot about the assumptions you're bringing into this conversation about like our fund strategy and the kind of founders that we're going to back. And I think one of the oddest things I've learned as a GP is I think it has been easier for us to construct a portfolio that I'm really proud of in terms of racial and gender diversity lines by not explicitly saying that we're a diversity fund, whatever that means, and just saying we're a fund that cares about funding a broad number of people. And if we fall below certain thresholds, I will feel like we failed as a fund. I feel like it's been easier to get mainstream LPs excited about our strategy, even if the outcome of that is similar to what it would have been if we were a quote unquote diversity fund. And I've just found as a black GP, the number of times I've walked into rooms and people have either had that assumption or when I've told them that's not our plan, they've been almost offended that it's not our plan. They're like, but you're a black GP. Isn't that what you should want to do? I'm like, look, the industry needs a couple of things. We need role model funds that are black GPs that are focused exclusively on black and brown founders because they're underfunded as a group. 
I think we also need a class of black GPs who are just amazing investors and sourcers of talent and can win competitive deals and give people a wider canvas of like what black venture can look like. Yeah, I mean, it happens possibly every other uh, LP meeting that I go into where, you know, I, I finish telling them about the fund and they say, okay, so, you know, you mostly, you invest in underrepresented founders. And I go, well, yes, but not exclusively. And then they sort of like have a, have a moment where they process that. And then, you know, then there are a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, and, you know, for some people, they are not interested in black GPs who don't exclusively invest in, in black and brown, occasionally founders. And I think that is extremely limiting. Look, I think non-black founders also need black fund managers to invest in them. Because if you look at sort of Silicon Valley, especially, I'm going to talk specifically about Silicon Valley, um, over the last few years, so many of the issues that trip up otherwise successful companies have been and will continue to be issues around inclusion or diversity or something related to that. Um, so anything from sexual harassment to racial harassment to wage disparity to all of these things will have been and will continue to be major issues as companies scale and get bigger. And the more diverse voices you can have on your cap table when you are dealing with some of these issues, the better. And just to add one thing to that, it's really become obvious to me sort of recently that Many founders that that I've met, not just ones in our portfolio, they've never had like a meaningful professional experience with a black person in a position of authority relative to them. So they have almost like no concept for what it's like to work with a black professional who's in like a position of authority. And one of the things that I think is is pretty interesting is like having black GPs that work with founders of a wide variety of like racial and ethnic backgrounds is for some of these people, it's going to be their first time having a really meaningful professional relationship with the black person. And I have to believe that that will also change the way they think about hiring and staffing in their own company. If they have a positive experience with a black GP who gives them good advice, who's supportive, who, who adds value to their company, I'd like to think that the spillover effect of that is that they'll be more positively inclined. And I, I, I've just been surprised by the number of people who, when I've asked them, like, how often do you have meaningful professional or social interactions with black people? The answer is, especially if you're in the peninsula, in the Bay Area, you could yeah. live in Atherton or Woodside and work on Sand Hill Road and you might never encounter someone like me for weeks at a time. And I'm not saying that is like actively racist or anything like that, but I have to believe it has some kind of subtle impact on how you think about your relationships mm -hmm. with black people if you don't have any meaningful professional or social interactions with them for long stretches of time. I don't think anybody in this call has long stretches of period of time where they don't have meaningful, significant interactions with people of other races. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's just a couple things to add on my end. Um, you know, one on the LP front, you know, you don't have to just invest in one black manager or one female manager either. Um, what that dynamic kind of breeds is then then competition. It's like, man, should I make Charles an introduction to this firm? Because I know they're only going to invest in one black manager, and therefore it's going to be me or Charles. Or, man, 
when Monique compete with another woman just because this fund wants to invest only in one woman fund. And so that, that bar shouldn't be one investment equals I, I now invest in diverse managers from the LP <laughs> standpoint. Uh, and then maybe guess two, just thoughts on just, you know, how, you know, non-diverse funds lead to non-diverse portfolio companies. You know, our team, you know, up until recently was an all-male team. Look at our, our first few investments. We're like, we've only invested in male CEOs with male co-founders. And we're like, damn, that's terrible. Um, so our very next hire was a woman. And we are, we're definitely seeing more and more women-led companies, or at least more women co-founding teams. And that's making a big impact in, in our pipeline. And so we're not 100% right in what we do. We kind of see our flaws and make changes to them. And you know, we are a really, really young fund. And we were able to solve, not solve it completely, but, you know, make strides to solving that, that problem that that should be happening in every single firm. If you just look internally and more to the point that I think Monique alluded to earlier is that as I'm updating my data on the lack of diversity in venture, we're doing is correlating that to the lack of diversity amongst the venture portfolio. And so, oh, surprise, you have an all male team. You have, you know, zero black founders zero female founders in your portfolio, um, that's your direct correlation right there. And so if you want to have that far founding impact of reaching diverse customer bases and diverse employee bases of companies, you get to start up top because that's how you'll filter down the rest of the way because it's a clear correlation between the makeup of a venture fund and the makeup of their portfolio. What are some of the things you're seeing in the venture industry that give you hope? And what changes do you ultimately hope to see? What I am encouraging and seeing is that one, folks are putting dollars to work, right? So we've seen, you know, announcements from Google, SoftBank, um, Netflix, and others. Um, I think all of that is positive. The one thing um, you could knock on them is that, you know, the, the, those dollars appeared in about like five seconds, which meant, you know, they could have done that whenever they wanted to, which either meant one, they didn't care, which I don't necessarily believe that necessarily, but or two, it's just neglect and weren't even thinking about it. I never crossed their mind that man, as I walk through the halls of my company, I never see a black person that like was okay to them. And so um that that's something that's I think in the back of people's minds, but great to see the initiatives and dollars that are now flowing in that capacity. I think it's great to see um funds, whether publicly or privately, doing their best to make sure that their future hires are are more diverse uh, employees. You know, I, for one, make myself available to anybody who needs help recruiting. He needs help thinking about initiatives. I'm an open door and happy to discuss anything. I think um, you know, any any initiative um, is positive and I'm happy to give myself as a sounding board to anyone working on those initiatives in that capacity. You know, lastly, I do think there are LPs that are saying, man, we've done a really bad job at this and we need to do better because we think we should do better for XYZ reasons. Some of them may be just pure altruism. Some of them is pure profit. Whatever the reason is, I think it's all positive. And, and so I'm glad to see some of that happening in, in, in that dimension. So I think all those things are, are working in our favor. Yeah, I guess for me, the goal is simple. I just want to normalize blackness and venture capital and startups. I think now, like anytime a black venture capitalist does something, it's amazingly noteworthy because it's so rare. And I look forward to the day where it's just not rare. It's not rare for you as a founder to walk into a pitch meeting and see a black venture capital face across the table. It's not rare, it's not rare to see multiple black venture firms on a cap table. Uh, it's not rare for a limited partner to meet with a new fund started by a black. G I just want it to become normal. 
and I look at like in a short period, I don't think it has to take a long time. In a fairly short period of time, we've made a lot of progress in normalizing uh, women-led startups and female venture partners. We still have a long way to go, but I think it's like becoming, it's not shocking to me if I walk into a room and like see two or three female venture capitals. Like that's like, okay, yeah, that happens more often than not. And like my real hope is we can get there with with black people. And I think it's going to take leadership in our industry. Like I actually think to me, Lightspeed hiring two more people and I, you know, and General Catalyst has got a handful of folks. I think as more of these bigger firms show that it's possible, it takes away the excuse that like, well, the no one can do it, right? Like no one, can, only the black firms can hire black people. And so like, we don't, we're not one of those, so we can't. I think as more firms like break through that wall and make their first and second and third hires, the firms that don't do it are going to be conspicuous in their actions. And like, I hope that we get to a point in the same way I think most firms are like, wow, we don't want to be perceived as a firm that's hostile to female founders because we value their contributions to the ecosystem and we think they're an important part of our portfolio. So let's not do things, whether it's with our team construction or the gender breakdown of the founders we back, let's not do anything that might signal to them that we're anything other than open to their ideas and talents. So that's really my hope is that like we can get to a place where this is like the three of us are like less remarkable as people. Yeah. And I hope we get to a place where LPs have expanded their vision of of what a, a fundable fund manager actually looks like. Um, and that, that includes black fund managers and specifically um, that that includes black women fund managers. I want us to get to a place where black women fund managers can raise sizable funds that are sustainable and that there are LPs who are are willing to back these funds and willing to to take a chance on uh, a fund one or fund two of, of a lot of these great fund managers who are who are coming to market. And I think I think those things are good for the industry as a whole. I think that they're obviously good for fund managers, obviously good for LPs, also really good for founders. And so I really want people to start to understand what the value um, of having great black investors actually looks like and how that changes and improves the industry for the long term. Monique, Richard, Charles, this has been a fantastic conversation. We are really grateful for your time and your insights. Thanks so much for, for being here with us. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us these last several months for our now podcast series as we have sought insights to help understand our rapidly evolving world. We have learned a lot from these conversations, and we hope you have as well. If you would like to stay up to date about future podcasts, please fill out the form on the NOW website. We look forward to being in touch. Until then, be well and stay safe.